Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Rob Fanoff and Mark Zelinski, as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Hey, this is uh, Jesse Cornwell, and this is List Builder Studio on Countercharge. I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, this is Jeremy Duvall, not quite as much of a big deal. And I'm Ralph Enough. And we're back again, as Jesse and Jeremy just alluded to. We're back again for another List Builder Studio. And uh, we're excited because Jesse is quite the... Internet famous? Yeah, I wasn't sure how to... But that's that's a good way to describe him, yeah. So Jesse, why don't you start us off with a little bit of introduction. I know you're famous. I know you're on YouTube. Uh, but for those of us peons that don't watch YouTube as often, why don't you tell us who you are? I'm Jesse. I'm your, your average uh, fat nerd who plays too many games... Um, has too much discretionary income and, and no kids, so that's good for me. Uh, I'm a, I first got into Kings of War. Uh, it was actually Origins two years ago. Mike Carter gave me a demo. It was one of, I'm, I'm one of the uh, refugees from the old world. I always had orcs and goblins, and I got into ogres. I was like, I'm tired of painting goblins. I'm going to play ogres. And then, you know, the, those that must not be named blew up the world. And I was like, well, I've got three armies I'm going to do nothing with. Awesome. So I, I've heard about Kings of War. I was like, I'll try it out. And uh, I, I really liked it. It was smooth. It was easy. So I first started playing. It was actually with ogres. Um, a lot of people know me as goblins. That's kind of my thing. But um, ogres is, it was always my first army. I played it. I used to play against my buddy with the undead. Um, we played probably 50, 60, 70 games. Um, we started going to tournaments. Um, you know, besides Mike Carter's Manticon was our first like big boy tournament. Actually, uh, that's the first time I met uh, Rob and all all his uh, his uh, group. We could say. Um, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I took goblins to that because I always heard you know ogres were ogres were bad, ogres were terrible. You know, they, and um, I guess as you progress and, and you play more and you play against different stuff, you pick up different armies. I was like, I'll try goblins. It's one of those deals. I had the model, so I'll try them out. Um, you know, long story short, I've been doing a lot of tournaments. If I'm all over the place, you probably see me on fanatics. I'm one of the uh, I'm one of the those people on fanatics, and. Uh, Kyle, I did a stupid video one day talking about a tournament I was running. Kyle's like, hey, you do good on camera. He's like, you should come up here and we can shoot a battle report and people liked it. And here I am. Now I'm on Now I'm on Countercharge after listening to so many episodes. So I've, I've kind of peaked, I have to say. So it only took 200 episodes and now you're on. Right. And I've, I've, not true. I've been on before. You interviewed me at the first Manticon. That's, that's like, what, two years ago probably. Right. Yep. Yeah, First Manticon. You, you're like, hey, you want to do a quick interview? And I was like, oh my God, yeah. And now you're, look at you. You're like a YouTube sensation. <laughs> I, I just, I act a fool. Kyle is the technical man. He is, he is perfection. That, that's what he, every little nuance, like he's very neurotic, but it works. I mean, he, he puts out a great product. I'm just the, the fat idiot who shows up, make random phrases and people are like, you're awesome. I'm like, okay. You're the talent. Let's be honest. You're the talent. I've been helping Kyle because he has been, as we talk, and he really wants to get in more into the tournament scene. So I've been helping. Not every game we play is on tape because, you know, it is hard. Like, you, you know, you you produce a podcast. Imagine trying to do that and play a game at the same time. And that's what Kyle's trying to do, film a battle report and with all that he does. So, 
know, he, he's more worried about the the video, which once again it shows in his product, and I will never begrudge him for that. I'll give him crap for it, but I'm never gonna, you know, oh Kyle, you should just, you know, let, let the quality, you know, the, the quality go go to pot just so you can play a better game because I can always come up and we can just play games. Before we go into List Builder Studio, let's run around the table and see what everybody's been working on. Me, I I think uh, there's been enough episodes. I think people have caught up. I'm still cleaning. I'm still cleaning. Still selling stuff on eBay. And I'm still painting test models for my Abyssal Army. So, but hopefully, hopefully in the near future, I've got some actual progress to show. How about you, Jeremy? Um, so I've been doing a lot of play testing uh, for Masters, as I think I probably mentioned a couple times. Um, I got the uh, I had ordered I think last time we talked the Black Knight kit for Revenant Cav. So that that's come, and I've started to put that together. Um, and I think next I'm going to order. Um, Thinking of running a double Soul Reaver regiment at Masters, and I use the Morgul Knights for my Soul Reavers from the beautiful uh, Games Workshop Lord of the Ring line, which I think is just has a lot of really nice, beautiful hidden gems in that line. So I think I'm going to be ordering another kit of those. So I, I think I'm probably going to be doing uh, lots of guys on horseback, lots of guys on horses over the next couple weeks. Um, so that's about it. What about you, Jesse? What have you been up to, hobby wise? Um, hobby wise, I've been kind of, I've been kind of chill because I've got like, at least for the next six months, I have at least one event every month. Like we've got siege of Augusta coming up in January. Uh, that's where the middle Atlantic's going to go to the South, go down there and show the Southeast boys how it's done. So I've already got an army picked out for that and, and ready to go, but I'm not sure like February when I'm taking the masters, I want to see how I do it. Siege. Um, I'm coming to blue city brawl. Um, Andrew Summers, my teammate for that. So we're still working on what we're doing. You know, for once, I'm not just going to worry about trying to win. I might actually worry about paint scores. So that'll be scary. So right now, I'm just kind of I'm in neutral right now. Mainly, I've been working on my buddy's um, human army that I promised to paint him like a year ago, and it just sits on the bench. And my bad. Love you, Booth. Sorry. So Jesse, are you ready to enter the hallowed sanctum, the fortress of awesomeitude that is? The List Builder Studio? I am. If nothing else, just that way I can talk smack to Kyle and uh, be like, yeah, I got a counter charge episode with me in it too. The List Builder Studio. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about in uh, uh, List Builder, Jesse, is we're going we're gonna to look at some of your um, ideas, concepts, philosophies, lack of philosophies, uh, urgings, uh, pretty much looking at kind of ideas that you have that you use in whatever army you make. Um, so first off, when you're thinking of starting a new army project, um, what draws you to an army? Is it the models? Is it uh, play style? Is it strength? Or speak a little bit to what what first kind of gets that uh, that spark going to maybe start a new army project? Um, the biggest thing for me, and I always, you know, I tell I'm I'm also a pathfinder, so I do demos for people, and they, you know, the biggest thing I tell them, you know, and, and it's what I do too is what do you feel like looking at for a hundred plus hours? A lot of people, um, you know, they'll try to pick an army for their play style or they'll try to pick on, Oh, I saw this really cool build. And if you don't like the models, you're not going to play the army. Um, it's a big reason, you know, I, I like Mantic, you know, love their stuff. I'm like their dwarves. I just, I don't like their ogres. They're not bad models. I have some of their ogre models. I just, I personally don't like them. I love GWs like chunky ogres. I love that aesthetic. And, you know, I learned how to play ogres because I like the models. You know, I, li- I love Mantic's goblins. Um, I picked those. You know, for me, a lot of it just do- 
do I like looking at it? And then I learn how to play it. I know it's kind of backwards from a lot of people do, but when you're looking at models for 100 plus hours, if you don't like them, you're, you're not going to play them. Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point about the Mantic Ogres. Because they are kind of from what I've uh, talked to people about. They're an army that comes up that's a little like polarizing because it is when we talk about Mantic developing their own look or their own style or sort of like an art artistic cohesion that the world of Mantica possesses. Their ogres are kind of a unique look as compared to other fantasy ranges of ogres. Yeah, and it's not like they're ch like I've seen some people with ogres and they're just chunky orcs. Like they're taller orcs. I I don't like that either. Like, you know, I know GW is the big bad scary monster in the room, but I like their ogres. I like just the chunky Mongol vibe they got going. And it just I don't know, it speaks to me. Like I can take or leave their goblins. To me, Mantics don't look any different. You know, they're a little skinnier, but whatever. Like, that's fine. Mantics orcs, I like them. I like G dub's orcs. So and I could easily mix and match them in an army. But it's you know, they're ogres. I mean, if they, they were the only ogres in the market, I, I could say they're probably my second favorite ogre. But, eh, I just I run the G Dub ones because I like the chunky. I like the chunky look. I'm a chunky man myself. Yeah, yeah, and and I know that a lot of people like you know people will say that they have an issue with a company or they don't want to support a company or whatever whatever you want to say. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion. For me, I like cool stuff. So if a company makes something that I think is really cool, I'm going to buy it because I like cool stuff. I'm not going to not buy it just because I'm like, I guess, pissed off at them. But again, that's just like my own opinion and everyone, you know, and everyone is entitled to their own thoughts on that because I know it's, it's, a, it could get a heated uh, topic. Oh yeah. It's, that's dropping gasoline right on a bonfire. Me and my friend, me and the West Virginia crew, we always joke, if we could build the perfect game company, it would be, we would take GW, GW's models, Mantic's rules, and like privateer presses, for, well, it used to be their prize support. And that would, to us, that would be like the perfect game company. Yeah, it's like, where's the weird science machine for that? We could like, you know, put all the stuff in the cauldron and build it up. Um. So you spoke a little bit of kind of about your, your models that you like to choose. Um, when you're starting to build a new uh, army, are you thinking about um, theme? Are you thinking about fluff? Um, are you thinking about like a backstory for your army? Or, or does any sort of uh, uh, those sort of elements kind of come into your mind? Um, like my yes and no. Um I know there's some guys like they they build and they have just a fantastic. They've already like Billy Capgun, like his Christmas elves, like he knew what he was going to do and they're beautiful. That, that's not me. My my models kind of make their own story. Like I have an ogre, I have an ogre flag guy who's bear trap guy because he has the bear trap weapon, and he's responsible. He's taken out a soul reaver, um, a soul reaver regiment by himself because he got lucky. He did like two wounds, rolled double sixes. Did two more roll, wounds, did a double six, and then he did like three wounds and rolled a double six and killed them because they were out of inspiring. Like he, he's his own legend. So now, anytime I put him on the table, we're like, oh snap, it's bear trap guy. You know, my my you know my little dudes, they I guess they make their own story, I, and I kind of go along with that. You know, it's kind of like where Peach of Jesus came. It was just an offhand comment, and then it blew up. Um, with the I am worrying about story like with Blue City Brawl, and it's interesting with that because now I'm actually thinking about backstory and I'm. And I got to get with Andrew about it because I've got a really cool idea. Like I'm super excited about. It. Now I'm sitting here like on my hands waiting for the models to come in so I can do it. And don't forget presentation delivery. You know, it's not just a backstory. 
it's it's a it's a it's a show. I was listening to your army um, army balance episode, and you talked about you're doing an underwater abyssal um, army, and I was like, that's that's so cool. I have no one thought of that. So for Blue Blue City Rob, is that kind of part of the the the, the deal? Is that the team comes up with like a backstory about their army or something like that? Yeah, and then at the beginning of our Saturday, we're gonna every story, you know, the the teams will come up and they will put on their little show, whatever it is. Um, some have sound effects, some have other accoutrements like costumes, some have professional actors that come out and deliver in like, you know, Shakespearean prose. It's, it's fantastic. And look, we're really excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So we're expecting big things from Andrew and Jesse. Oh yeah. That sounds fun. I was bullied into signing up. Okay. I'm just, I'm just letting that be speak for the record. I was bullied for after a while. It's going to be so popular. It's, is it going to like kind of morph into invitation only? Like I got to send you uh, some food and get invited. I've been to events in the past where uh, you had to know somebody or knew a guy to knew a guy to get. And now it'll never be like that. It's, I mean, right now it's first come first serve. If you, if you pay me the money you're in. Right. So that's and that's the way I like to keep it. And I think that tournament is a really good example of, you know, we've talked about this before. And I know Rob's a big proponent of that, of a healthy, thriving tournament community is not always, you know, the same big GT at 2000 points. You know, having these sort of smaller or like uh, boutique events or events that are themed around different topics, I think, adds a lot of life to the tournament scene. Variety is the spice of life. Well, that is something I've noticed. Like, you know, I was in the tournament scene last year and went all over the place and everybody kind of played it safe. It was like 2000 points and you had a few outliers like Lady of the Lake. And but everyone pretty much kind of towed the line like this year. I've noticed a lot, a lot more variety because and that shows the game itself. The community itself is growing and that's a good thing. People aren't scared to, you know, let's try to see what happens. You know, you throw it against the wall, see what sticks. And that to me, that's cool. It's exciting as a tournament guy just to, to go to these things. Like once again, the siege of Augusta where, you know, it's going to be a qualifier for both events. I'm hoping my event and you know, um, Charcon. I'm hoping to make that a Southeast and, you know, kind of reciprocate, make that a qualifier for the Southeast and the mid Atlantic. And it, you know the the Blue City Brawl, like just little stuff like that. Like it's really exciting to, to be on the tournament scene right now. So you mentioned community. Um, speaking of that, um, how where does inspiration come from a new project? Like, will you see an army at a, an event, or will you see a paint scheme, or will you see something uh, on Fanatics that inspires you, or maybe you see a movie, or you you read a book, and you're like, oh man, that would be really cool. Um, does that kind of uh, how do those elements like affect your inspiration when you're uh, starting a new project? Well, I, I see all sorts of cool armies, like um, especially the Mid Atlantic, like Mike Adkins. That guy, he's got his um, Abyssal army where he's used mere uh, Mercia miniatures. Um, it's like eagle heads for top of Abyssals, and of course you got Tony Nelson's um, U.S. U.S. ogres. It a lot of. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. A lot of it's kind of um, intimidating because you look at it and you're like, "There's no way anything I do is gonna be anything as good as this." But at the same time, it's like, you know what? Just, just throw it out there and see what happens. Just you know, try it. And it just kind of forced me to up my game a little bit with painting. I'm not, I'm not even gonna lie. I'm, I'm at best a base coat kind of do throw a wash on, blast it with some sealer. We're good. But I, I have been experimenting and tinkering and. We all have those two or three um, poor Space Marine models that are fifty got fifty coats of paint on them. Like, how does this work? Or, you know, I'm I'm slowly getting there. I'll never I'll never be as good as Kyle's painting. That his stuff is like, if you ever want to waste a half hour, just ask him how many shades of purple and what all he did to put their cloaks. Like, like 
wow. I'm like, I've got like one shade of purple. And I, I think I used the wash. Maybe. I don't know. I think you hit on it, though. I think uh, uh, growing as a hobbyist is always about experimenting and trying new things. And if it's like, you know, some people like the idea of, okay, this next new unit I'm going to paint, I'm going to try a new technique. Or sometimes like when you're starting a new army project, you maybe be like, this is the army that I'm going to work on painting blue or whatever it is. It could be something complex like non-metallic metal or it could be even just maybe a color you've never painted with. So I think that you have a good idea of like, you know, just trying to uh, each time you do something, add, uh, try to add a new technique or a new uh, color that you've never used before. Yeah, definitely. It's like red, you know, Kyle, you know, and, and that's kind of the deal. Like I'm trying to help Kyle be a better tournament player. And he's helped me with painting because, you know, we've talked about stuff and he's like, look at the difference in this red, just the primer they use. I would have never thought of it. I use gray for everything because I'm cheap and I can get it for 98 cents at Walmart, you know, because black primer is $3 and white primer is like $2 or 98 cents. I can get gray and, you know, whatever. Kyle's like, well, here's what it looks like red on top of gray. Here's what it looks like red on top of black. But if you want a really bright red, I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> You know, just stuff I would have never thought about. But, that, you know, that's why we uh, – it was a great thing about our hobby, you know, is that you play with different people and you learn different things. And, you know, it's always about picking the brains of, of someone who, like, you know, like you said, Kyle is working with you on getting his tabletop play and then he, you can, you know, kind of take from him painting tips. So when you're building a list, we've talked a little bit about kind of uh, what draws you to an army, talked a little bit about theme – which I do, I like the idea of instead of theme driving your model choice, I like how the models could drive the theme choice. I think that's kind of a cool idea. Like it reminds me of growing up gaming where, you, you know, that space marine that's been painted, as you said, a hundred times where you give him a missile launcher that's like way too big or from a completely different kit. And then he becomes like your missile launch, missile launcher expert. So I think that that's fun. So do you have foundational concepts or do you have ideas or goals that you'll bring uh to any list you're building or is each list is kind of its own special snowflake um i'm kind of i'm you know what word sorry i kind of when i build a list everybody has a job you know whether i'm building goblins or i'm playing abyssal doors or i'm playing ogres everybody has a job and I know a lot of people will look at a list and say they'll pick, you know, goblins and this is what they do. And this, you know, and they'll go with each list as a snowflake. I'm more of a, a kind of a, a bigger picture guy. You know, everyone has a job like the ogre list. My warriors, they're there to get in the way and what I call second string chaff. I'm hoping if everything goes right, they're the next thing to die after, say, the red goblins. When I play goblins. You know, everything is meant to get in the way so that way the, the breath weapons can pick off the biggest threats and then we just swarm the little stuff. You know, when I, when I build a list, I'm sitting there thinking, what is your job? What are you going to do? Now, granted, stuff like in a goblin list is not going to do as well, say, ogre list. That's two entirely different play styles. Ogres is more of elite build. Goblins are more just we have more, you know, we'll drown you in goblin blood. And abyssal dwarves are kind of in the middle there. Abyssal dwarves I'm still tinkering with. I know how to play ogres. I know how to play goblins. Abyssal dwarves, I'm like, what do I do? But it's when I build a list, I'm trying to find when I put it in there, what is this job? You know, like I use ogre flag guys. Yes, they're inspiring, but they're much different than goblin flag guys because ogre flag guys are not individuals. So I can use them as late game charge blockers. Goblin flag guys are just be a flag guy and you might be a charge blocker. You might not. You know, we'll see. Whatever. 
Okay, so you mentioned a little bit there, kind of uh, talking about units having jobs. Speak a little bit more deeply into chaff. I mean, you mentioned your Red Goblins. You mentioned there the idea of secondary chaff, which I think is really interesting. I would love to hear you explore that a little bit. But speak in general, kind of like, uh, what are your thoughts on chaff? Do you have a, a set number of units you like to take? Do you consider anti-chaff? Or speak a little bit to your chaff philosophy. West Virginia crew. Nobody really knew we existed. The Southeast did because we went to their events and the Midwest did, but the rest of Mid-Atlantic had no idea we existed. So we, you know, so we finally got to meet them. We go to Masters and we're like, why are people running chaff? These people are idiots because with our little meta, we didn't run chaff because, you know, we're playing kill and we're like, that's just free points. So, you know, we go to Masters and we just, you know, we got stomped. Like our buddy Tim Bowie got last place. And it's, you know, it like we've since appreciated what chaff does. For me, chaff, it has to have two jobs a its main job is to get in the way for goblins it's mainly just to chew through for ogres it's to set me charge off first because their nerves not high so it sets me up with charges i can put my red goblins in the way to where if you don't charge them you know thunders one seven attacks it's nothing to sneeze at it's not super but at least they'll sting you <clears throat> and the next day i wanted to do something like that's why i'm not a fan and i know we can sit here argue all day on fanatics and about those red goblin blasters okay the only thing they should ever do is sit on the shelf in my personal opinion because they have they only have one job they can't do anything else it's well i'm gonna go get in the way and people are like well if they shoot those they're not shooting your units no one's gonna shoot at your stupid unit on the first turn and if they do it's gonna do two wounds it's not like the, that unit's going to blow up. The Red Goblin Blaster, two wounds. Oh, it just exploded, and your guys took six wounds each. Good job. So for me, Chaff has to have do its main job, getting away. Its second job is to at least be a threat. It's like like with Maul Beast or Red Goblins. Setting up our units, it's really points. You know, with Ogres, I find I run two of them, and I'm fine. Goblins, I'll run four four things of Maul Beast. With Goblins, everything's Chaff. With Abyssal Dwarves, I'm still tinkering, but I found about three units of Gargoyles does what I need it to do. It's get in the way, you know, set up charge lane. Yeah, I think that's interesting kind of, uh, you know, basing the amount of chaffs, chaff units you need versus kind of like your overall drop totals. So uh, do you find that – is that kind of what you're talking about where you're relating the amount of chaff you have versus uh, how many drops you have in a list basically? Honestly, it's not big of a deal as I used to make it. Like my goblin list, I'd be proud. I've got 19 drops. My ogres, I have like 11. I, to me, it's not really a big deal. It's it's more points and it's more what can they do. Goblins, I'll run a bit more chaff, more mall beast because they are a threat offensively. You know, crushing one, hitting on threes. You know, it's, you can't ignore that. So even if yes, they're chaff, they're still useful even if they're not doing a chaff roll. Um, Missile Dwarf and another one. The Flyers then go War Machine hunting. They're still they still do something besides just being chaff. My Red Goblins, um, it's more of a points issue. They're 100 points each for troops, but they're also speed 10. There'll be some games depending on who I'm going against. They may not be chaff. They may be Flyer defense if I need it, or if I'm going against a slower army where I know I can get the the charge off with the ogres. I don't need I don't need to use them as chaff. If I'm playing, say, Varinger, who hit just as hard as I do, and they're just a, they're faster than Red Goblins chaff. It's what job do they do? And you know, it's once again that comes back to trial and error. You know, you're tinkering, you're constantly messing with tinkering, you know, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and that's usually the the 
the hardest point I have. It's usually 500 points, and no matter what army I play, no matter what list I build, the last 500 points are always some I'm constantly tinkering with. Like, no, I don't like this, or yes, I like this, or get rid of this, add this item. So you mentioned it a little a little briefly there. So you're, you kind of have a, or a ballpark of where you want to be drop-wise, or do you just build the army that you want? And it just has the amount of drops that it has, and that's what it has because it's the army that you want to play. To me, the number of drops I have afterwards is, is a cool side effect. If you have a if you have a decent army, you know how to play it. It doesn't matter if you only have two drops. If you're good enough with it, you're going to be fine. If you have 35 drops and you have no idea what to do with it, you're going to lose. It doesn't matter how many drops you have. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm kind of in your camp of when you talk about multi-purpose chaff, where a chaff. It, it can serve as numerous roles. It's one of the reasons why I really like um, chaff that has shooting. Because like you say, you can throw it in front of something if that's what you need to do. But if you're sitting on an objective, it can also shoot. And so it has more things to do besides just being kind of pigeonholed into only being able to do one thing, which is stand in front of other people. Um, right. That's why I've, I've never really gotten into Undead. I mean, A, the aesthetic. I don't like looking at squishy undead. I don't, whatever. And B, it's just like ghouls. It's it's one of those deals like they have one job to get in the way. That, that's it. Like, to me, that just that irritates me. Well, I'll make sure that, you know, I, uh, I, I rub my ghouls, you know, and make them feel better tonight after you've just slandered them. So I'm, I'm going to let, let that one slide this one time. It's okay. Well, you're undead. You don't care. You if they die, they're just more zombies. It, see, um, I'll give the undead players credit. You are very eco friendly. My stuff dies. I mean, the ogres may eat them, but if an ogre dies, oh sweet, new zombie. Zombie get you know he finally gets burned enough. You're like, oh sweet, new skeleton. Well, I've had these dreams of if we ever play, and I can vanquish sweaty gigante. That I might just have to do an undead version of the sweaty gigante because I've taken his corpse. And I've reanimated him to my own nefarious ends. You know, that that is another one. That's uh, <laughs> uh, he was a Reaper Bones mini. I have no idea why he's shiny. Like I've cleaned him off. I hit him with what I used to do is hit a clear coat, um, and then I would hit him with a matte coat. Well, for some reason, I hit him with a clear coat and I hit him with a matte coat and it never dulled him. He has like I'm not lying to you, like four coats of matte on him, and I know I'm using the right can. And still his shine shines through. And people just seem to love him. He's just your standard $7 Reaper Bones mini. But people are like, yeah, sweetie gigante. Well, you know, it's his inner light. He's just, you know, he's abundant of spirit. And he's just like such a good guy. I think that's part of where some of his shine comes from. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. I wish his shine would work more on dice. Twice, <laughs> now rolled, twice now he's rolled 10 attacks and missed all of them. Well, you need to get like 10 shiny dice. So he needs his own special, like, sparkle, sweaty, gigante, shiny dice, maybe? Yeah, just get, get – see, there we go. Just get some, like, almost ice-looking dice. Be like, all right, here we go, shiny sides. Uh-huh. You have, like, a little case that you kind of – you have the key around your neck that you got to, you know, take off to unlock the sweaty, gigante, dice dice Halliburton case, you know? It plays the uh, angelic music. Yeah. Oh. Okay. It'll be perfect. Um. So uh, we've talked a little bit about um, drops. We've talked about con- our uh, uh, chaff. Um, when you're building your list, um, are you thinking about um, combat groups? You know, we had Britton on last time, and he liked to talk about the buddy system, how not having exact combat groups, but maybe units that work well together. You've spoken a little bit today about uh, roles like battlefield roles but are you thinking about combat groups are you thinking about synergies in your army or 
where does that thinking kind of come into place when you're list building? Um, my ogres, yeah, they're combat groups. Goblins, not so much. Uh, it's just, it comes down to, I'm trying to think, I'm, you know, every list I do, you list, and, you know, it's not hard to do. If you play the game long enough and play enough games, you know, kind of like, what, if I take 50 of these, this is awesome. But at the same time, um, you know, you've got paper, eventually you're going to run into scissors, and there's nothing you can do. And there's nothing I hate more than feeling helpless in a game. You're just like, well, you know, I played that in the old world. I'm like, yeah, I have ogres. Somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm running the purple zone of Xerxes. I'm like, well, good game. Uh, Could have told me that before I put my models down. That's cool. Um, you know, you don't run into that king so much unless you're running those like super skew lists. So I always try to make a balanced list. So when I do that, it's it's more like, OK, how am I going to handle flyers with this? You know, do, do I have something to address that? Do I have something to address the super fast punchy thing? Uh, what happens if I run into a horde army? You know, do, do I'm trying to, you know, it's the struggle of every list builder. I'm trying to build a list that can handle everything. You know, not really be a master at any one thing, but not be terrible at any one thing either. So uh, what about uh, – you mentioned it a little bit kind of when you were talking about the difference in your goblin and ogre army. But what are kind of your thoughts on inspiring? Are you bringing a set amount? Are you have certain units that you want inspired? Um, are you incorporating that into kind of other strategies of your list? Or speak a little bit about to your thoughts on inspiring. Um, I'm personally a big fan of it. Um, I've, I've had it bite me too many times not having inspiring to not be – um, there is no really set, you know, oh, every 500 points you have to have inspiring. It's more, what am I running, and will it do what I need it to do? With goblins, I usually, I would run two flag guys, and I run the whiz with inspiring talisman. You know, and they, you know, the flag guys would go handle infantry, and the, you know, the, the whiz would, of course, hang around with the war trombones because, you know, blood boil goodness. On my ogres, I only run three. Three seems to be the magic number. Like with most units I run, I only try to run three. I don't know why. I, I don't, I've never, you know, there's no set rule saying you're only allowed to have this many, but I usually follow the rule of three. It's rare if I take more than three of a unit. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's psychosis. I don't know if I was beaten with the number three as a child. I don't know. But it's just, it seems to be the way it works out. So most of the lists I've found, and as I go back, I was actually looking at them today, just all the lists, because every list I play, I always keep just, and I'll put notes on it, like this sucked, or this got its face stomped by the Empire Dust. Why? You know, little things for me. And um, I've noticed, I noticed, I seem to always run three things of inspiring. So that's my magic number, I guess. So you mentioned the uh, inspiring talisman. And I think a lot, that is a, a lot of strategy a lot of people like to use is that, you know, and I think it's a good one of taking that wizard and, you know, uh, putting an inspiring talisman on him. Um, but speaking about magical artifacts, um, how does that kind of enter in, into your thinking? Um, are they extensions of units? Do you take them? Certain units have the same artifact all the time. Um, is it kind of I have some extra points, so let me buy some artifacts? Or speak a little bit to how uh, artifact selection enters into your uh, list building strategy. Unless it's something major, you know, I've got like a, a really big idea. Like say I'm running a horde of Malvi or a horde of um, the Goblin Fleabag Riders, you know. They would need Pathfinder. But normally it's it's whatever I have left because for me in the games I've played, the more bodies I have, the more troops I have, the better because it doesn't matter how cool your magic items are, they can't score an objective. You know, it, And with unit strength taking away 
you know, where unit strength being added instead of, you know, the actual points values of models, it doesn't matter if I put a 50 point item on a troop, it's still, or on a troop, it's still unit strength one. So for me, it, at the very end, magic items are, are something I think about maybe. You know, occasionally I'll run into, like I said, the whiz with the inspiring talisman. I'm like, okay, that'll be handy. But usually most of the list I build, I'll have like 20 points left or I'll have like 30 points left. There's nothing I can really buy. So I'm like, eh, let's see what we got for magic items. What 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 could use it? So you kind of mentioned it briefly there. So are you thinking about like when you're list building? Are you especially like you mentioned the way the direction of the game's going? So are you kind of thinking about unit strength? Are you thinking about scoring in scenarios? Are you thinking about how is this list going to perform in different types of scenarios like movement scenarios or uh, loot scenarios are so is, is unit strength and kind of scenarios is that kind of entering into your your, your thinking when you're list building for me definitely always like i said i'm a tournament player um so i'm always thinking about scenarios i'm always thinking you know unit strength and when i build a list at the final thing i'm i add up their units you know get my how many i have what drops i have and then i count their unit strength just so i know what i have because you know you're running the math and people you know i look at people's list at the tournament i'm like Okay, so they've got 15 unit strength. So if I take out this, this, and this, then I can be, I'm okay. I, I've got this game. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm constantly doing math in my head. I come across this big old fat goof, but I'm constantly running math in my head just, just to make sure what's going on, what, you know, because the, the name of the game is numbers. Yeah, and I think uh, moving away from those scenarios where you had to count up points and instead having to count up unit strength, I think it's added that layer into, the strategy and that where you can do a little bit more quicker uh, counts when you're figuring out what you need to do to, to wrap up trying to win a scenario at the end of a game. Well, yeah. And it's, it surprises some people with unit strength. Like uh, my ogre list is rocking. I think kind of like 26 unit strength. My goblin said 28. And oh, yeah, that's a lot. You know, people play ogres. They're like, Oh, you, you know, I don't have that many drops, but pretty much everything I drops a horde. So it doesn't look like a lot till we get into like unit strength. I'm like, all right, I've got 18 unit strength on your side of the table, and you've got uh, 10. I win. Proximity scenarios, like you said, the scenarios where you got to be near objectives. When you're thinking about that, and when you're thinking about your list, are you kind of trying to think about speed in your list, or you know, how how am I going to deal with needing to get around the board, or how am I going to deal with playing against lots of flyers, or how does kind of speed enter into your thinking when you're list building? Speed's kind of a kind of a big deal, but it's also survivability. I don't have to be like, say, you line up and it's pillage and there's five objectives. You know, while we're we're setting up, I'm like, I'm taking those three objectives. They're going to be mine. I'm going to get there and I either kill you and take you off of it, or say you're fast and you try to do the last minute. If I've got enough, you know, enough numbers there, you're not going to be able to kill me off of it, and that's fine. I'm going to take this. So, you know, it's one of those deals. It's you can either be fast or you can be survivable. I've, I would love to have a unit that can do both. <laughs> cough, fallen, cough, but um, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It's it's constantly. It, can I survive a hit or can I hit first? And with those proximity things, it's one of those. If I can jump up, hit you first, kill you off of it, and you can't kill me back. I'm gonna win. So are you uh, uh, an allies guy, a no allies guy, or kind of uh, does are you playing? I know Rob likes to play the army as it is because it presents interesting challenges. Of you know, not not every army has every tool, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. So, how, what are your thoughts on allies? 
Um, I've played with allies before, but I consider them fun lists. Like I did a battle report with Kyle where I ran abyssal doors with abyssals just because I wanted to the model. I I did a trade and got the abyssal arch demon. And I was like, that's a cool model and I'm going to play it. But as far as tournament list, I, I don't think I'll ever run allies just, and I don't begrudge anyone who does. So please God, anyone who listens to this, don't think I'm one of those people, but I, me personally, I just know like, you know, my ogres don't have flyers. My goblins don't have flyers. Um, there's a reason for that, you know, play, play to the army strength. To me, it makes, it makes you a better player to have that built in handicap. It makes you a better player. It makes you able to react, you know, um, Eric Trowbridge, me and him talk a lot and he's got this thing where play a list 10 times before you do anything with it. And when you play those 10 times, you're going to find what your army does and you're going to find you don't need those allies. Some people like it and that's cool. But I mean, I don't know to me, just, eh. That's not really my cup of tea. If you want to do allies, go to like Blue City Brawl. And, you know, I've got a thousand points worth of allies. His name's Andrew Summers. You know, to me, that's cool. But I'm not a, I'm not really an allies guy into my list kind of thing. It's just it's not my it, it's not my flavor. So we've talked about it before. Uh, uh, you know, we've heard tale of the legend of the Capster Maneuver, which is uh, hiding out in your finished basement, deploying armies as you're getting ready to uh, play the the next day. Uh, do you think about pre-deployment at all when you're list building? Do you kind of have an idea going into uh, when you've worked on a list of kind of what you want to achieve in the deployment phase? Are you uh, reactive to how your opponent deploys or do you do you like to be proactive in deploying uh, towards a strategy that you have? Speak a little bit to how kind of deployment enters your mind when you're list building. When when I list build and when I think about deployment, I and this is going to sound conceited, but please you know, listener, don't take it this way. I don't care what you do. Because if I start reacting to you, reacting to you, you've taken initiative away from me. I set the tempo. When I put my guys down, you know, and I know what they're going to do. They have a job, they have a mission, and they're going for it. If you happen to get in the way, cool. We'll deal with that as it comes up. But when I deploy, I don't really care what you do. Now, granted, there are times when, you know, you'd be stupid not to, like, Say I have spear guys, I'm, you know, I happen to drop them after your soul reaver cab. I'm probably going to put the, soul, the spear guys across from the soul reaver cab. But nine times out of ten, I already know what I'm going to do when I'm going. I look at the terrain and we roll with it. Well, if, if I adjust my deployment for anything, it's because of terrain. So speaking of terrain, um, are you kind of taking that into consideration when you're list building? Or you're thinking about, okay, I need to have at least one unit with Pathfinder, or I need to have some speed to get around terrain, or how is, does terrain kind of enter into your head at all when you're list building? Um, not really. Just because the armies I play, I don't really have access to Pathfinder except for my item. You know, eventually one day I'll run the Ogre uh, Hunters. You know, it's one day, not anytime soon, but one day. And then I'll discover the joys of Pathfinder and how glorious it is, but... You know, it's I don't worry about it because there's no point. There's there's nothing I can do. Like I said, I play goblins and I'm tinkering with abyssal dwarves and I play ogres. Pathfinder is not something we have in abundance. So it's it's just one of those deals. I, I deal with it as best I can. I try to mitigate it as best as possible, but or use it to my advantage. But as far as what do I bring? Eh, doesn't matter. They're gonna be minus one to hit anyway. You know, I, I like what she said about you know. Um, having an idea of what you want to do when you're deploying. I think with anything, there's kind of different sides of the spectrum. There's the deployment mindset of I'm deploying in this predetermined 
uh, set up no matter what my opponent does, or I'm only going to deploy my crap first because I really want to wait and see what he's doing, and then I'll deploy myself. I found, and I'm kind of in your camp of I like of of having an idea of what you want to do, and maybe there's some things you might you know move around based on what your opponent does. But I think if you get shackled into only acting uh, in response to what the other person is dictating, you're setting the momentum of the game already to where uh, your you know your opponent has you off off balance already. And a lot of it's you know mental a lot of when you you come across table which when you know i want to make sure everybody has fun you know i want to win don't get me wrong but i also when i win i don't want to be like you suck scrub at the same time though it's you know it's little stuff you do at a tournament like i get to the table first i'm gonna put my stuff on one side because you will find you go to tournament people half the time it's like eh, whatever this side's fine you know and they pick a side because that's the side you gave them you you know or People get rattled when, you know, I put my stuff down and they're like, oh, you know, and, and I'm not, I don't even bother to see what they have. It's not, once again, it's not me. I don't want people to think I'm cocky or anything or, or I don't, you know, I, I'm belittling my opponent. It's not. It's just, it's, it's more of a game face. And and that rattles some people. They're just like, you know, he's putting that there. Why? You know, and they start thinking. They start check, second check, second guessing themselves. They're like, oh, God, what's going on? Like, why is he put that there? Is, there, is he going to do something that, you know, and then they start, you know, deploying off of me. And I'm just like, yeah, this flag guy's going to go here. I don't care. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? I think you bring kind of up an interesting point is of um, how sort of, um, I guess, your gaming personality or persona or whatever the case, how that like influences uh, the flow and rhythm of a game, um, you know, having kind of seen you on Mastercrafted, um, and I think uh, this is probably why you resonate with a lot of people, why they like watching your games is I think that you can have fun, you can joke around and then also play a tight competitive game at the same time that I think some people feel like those things are mutually exclusive. Like you can only play tight and correct and then be a total D bag or you're joking, drinking beers having fun who even cares but i mean don't you think you can kind of combine those two elements play a super tight game but also joke and have fun with your opponent yeah and that i mean that's what i try to do i'm there to have fun if i wasn't there to have fun i wouldn't be pushing plastic soldiers across the table with grown men you know um like mike rossi does it real well robbie king those you know, i love playing those guys because you no matter what you're gonna do you're gonna have fun but you also know and that a lot of people understand when you play a tight game you're gonna have fun because I don't have to worry about cheating. Like I played, um, I played Mike Rossi not too long ago to um, uh, um, packs unplugged up here in Philly and we were playing. It's one of those deals where, you know, we sit there and measure. I'm like, okay, 17 inches, you know, my intention is for you to be out of charge range. He's like, cool. And then, you know, something will happen. Pe- models get bumped and he'll go measure on his turn. He's like, Hey, you're at like 16. Wasn't your intention to be out? I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, we must've bumped something. And that's cool. Like it's communication is key. No matter what you're doing, as long as you communicate with your opponent, I have yet to run into somebody in this game that I don't want to play again. For a lot of you to play the, the old world stuff, um, I guarantee there's, there's more people you don't want to play than you do want to play with, with with the old Warhammer stuff. But this game is not like that. It, communication is key. It's, you know, this is what my intention was. Now, granted, there are times I'm not going to tell my opponent everything. Was, if I'm trying to set up a charge, I'm like, hey, buddy, watch over here because I'm going to charge you. Because, I mean, that is the nature of the beast. But I try not to be a d- I played War Machine. I I played a game with those gotcha moments, and I hate those. I don't want people to do them to me. I'm not going to do them to people, you know. So I can play a tight game for my opponent, for myself, and without you know without resorting to just making it miserable. 
Yeah, I think what you say about intention, being verbal with your intention, I think is so, so pivotal. And I think it's for those you know, uh, audience members who are maybe new to wargaming or listen to List Builder Studio to kind of get ideas on how to kind of take their game to the next level. You would think counterintuitively, well, if I talk about what I want to do, that's going to be bad for me. Like, I don't want to tell my opponent what I'm doing because then I can't surprise them with my stellar strategy. But I think for the smoothness of gameplay and it's just something kind of like you pick up and playing like like what you said you talk about okay i've moved this unit here it's just out of charge range that's my intention Uh, okay so i'm moving over here or what do you think i'm thinking if i charge i'll be in your flank and this is kind of what i'm thinking of why that would work and i think if you have that dialogue with your opponent you're squashing and kings of war doesn't have a lot of room for 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 arguments anyway but you're squashing whatever might kind of pop up as a, a contentious point you know grant when you're at like the top table or whatever you know you're going 4 and 0 and it's a six round tournament i understand it gets a little it gets a little nerve-wracking but at the same time like i've been on you know the bottom tables before there have been times where i've literally stopped the game and i'm like okay what were you thinking here because it you know and it's not to be a prick but the person like well you know they'll get surprised i'm like here's what's going to happen if you do this like i'm going to charge here you're going to get flanked and it's going to be real bad do you want to redo that and that's you know when you're you know bottom tables you know a lot of times the guys at the bottom table we all have bad tournaments but a lot of times guys bottom tables are newer opponents i'd rather guy walk away and learn something than just be like, well, I kick the crap out of you and um, get good, scrub. You know, yeah, like, yeah. That's Sorry, what I ahead. did with Kyle at Adepticon. Like after our game, I'm like, here's what happened. Here's why I beat you. And I, you know, I showed him the nimble move of, you know, with a nimble unit. Even when you back up, you still get that one pivot. He could have got a unit out of the way. He could have charged in his big baddie. I just kept wavering the little, the little turd unit, and he couldn't get his big bat. You know, I think it's Abyssal Grotesque or Abyssal Rider or something. I didn't want to hit me, so I just kept wavering the stuff in front. And after the game, I talked to him. I was like, you know, this is what you should have done. He's like, oh, okay. You know, because like I said, just kicking the crap out of somebody not learning anything from it, it, it doesn't make anybody feel good. If I need to feel good about myself, I teach high school. I just go pick on teenagers. You know, and that can be good. Like you said, like uh, if someone smokes you at a tournament, sometimes it's good to kind of pick their brain and be like, wow, man, like what was going through their head when they were smashing your face in? Because like you said, that's how you get better. You know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways you learn more when you lose when you lose a game than you do when you win. Because when you win, it's like, well, what am I? I don't really have anything I need to change. Whereas when you lose, you know, there's a lot more uh, soil, fertile soil to kind of uh, for uh, to grow in, basically, as a player. I think. Yeah, it's one of those. It's like, what did I do wrong? Okay, you know, and it's like you said, when you win, you're just like, well, everything's working intended. If it ain't broke, I'm not going to fix it. But when you lose, you're like. What you know, and that's another reason I really like this game. I, I can go back through the whole game and know, like, okay, I, I messed up on turn three. I didn't think it was a big deal, but this is why it affected me in turn six. So as we're kind of starting to wrap up this first section, are you thinking about um, first turn at all? Uh, do you like to take first turn? Do you not like to take first turn? Is it completely dependent on scenario? Um, you know, what you, uh, the mission that you're playing or whatever, what do you have an idea on when you have a list on whether or not you like to go first? Second? Um, see, that is when I take my opponent's list into consideration. A lot of times if they're running shooting, I'm going to, I will probably go first. And a lot of people are like, Oh no, why? Because normally that only gives them two rounds of shooting. You know, first turn, I just run everything. Um, even goblins, that's still 10 inches up the board. Then they get to move and shoot. Okay. 
Second turn, I get to run, and with ogres or whatever, I'm able to charge. They get to shoot. Next turn, I get to charge in, definitely. So at best, they're getting two rounds of shooting, where if they go first, they get three rounds because they get that first turn shooting, and yeah, they get minus one to shoot. But still, that's dice being thrown. Anytime dice being thrown, that's stuff that's opportunity taken away from me. And then they get another round and another round because it's going to take me at least two rounds of running or charging to get up where I need to be. Um, if they don't have a lot of shooting, I'll go second depending on scenario. It's too many people look at, you know, they – and I yell at Kyle for this like a lot. And I, it's something people need to look at. When your opponent hands you their list, especially the tournament, take five seconds and read it. You would be surprised how many times people have gotten have gotten nut punched because they didn't read their opponent's list and realize, oh, that's what this does, or hey, I should have paid attention to this. Take those five seconds, ten seconds, twenty seconds. It's not you're not going to run out of time on the clock. You're going to be all right. Read the list. I don't know how many times I, I've staved off disaster because I read the list and I'm like, oh yeah, that unit has that, or I'll sit in the woods and oh here, choo choo, here comes the pain train that has Pathfinder. Like yikes. Read the list. And you will do so much better. You know, that's a really fantastic point, Rob. I think it's I, – I know you we're all usually always on such a tight time list. Your opponent in a tournament, they give you the list. You go, oh, you're playing this army. Okay, I know that they have that. that okay, you got it. Okay, and then you're good to go. But I think really taking that time to look at what you're fighting against is so, so uh, pivotal. Me personally, I, there's been lots of times I go, oh, I play ogres. I know how to play them. Well, take a time, look at the list. You know, they may have a unit in there like Hunters that nobody plays. And, uh, you know, it's better to consider the uh, the enemy before you actually meet them on the table, right? Definitely. I've, I've run into armies where, you know, and, and the only reason I, I tell people when I teach people, you know, I don't tell them because of the wisdom I've gained or because I'm smart. It's because I'm stupid and I've, it, I'm, I'm showing them the scars and the knots on my head from the stupid I've done. You know, when I teach my students in, in school and when I try to teach people the game, that's why I'm telling people, read the list because I don't know how many times I've been burnt. I'm like, yeah, I know what it does. We're good. And then like, oh, that's what that does. How did I not know that? Oh, it's on your list. I should read. All right, Jesse. Well, the next thing we're going to dive into is we're going to talk about a specific list that you have prepared for us. And, you know. I'm sure it's extraordinary. And uh, first up, why don't you give us a little bit of background on the list? You know, what army is it? Um, how did you develop it? That kind of thing. Well, the one we're talking about is my ogre list. It's it's one I've tinkered with and played with, and I finally settled on kind of uh, an everyman list. Um, I originally, I ran at Mantic Lat or Manticon last year, and I got fifth place, which. I'm not even going to lie. I, it was one of those deals. I didn't feel like painting a bunch of stuff because I was originally going to run Twilight Kin. I was like, I don't feel like painting these. I'll just take ogres. I have them. Why not? I don't feel like running goblins. Um, and it had been my, my first ogre tournament that I had taken them to because I took my ogres a long time ago to Gym City. Mike's first Gym City ever did. I got last place, which ain't the ogre's fault. You know, I cannot blame the army for the failings of its commander. Um, so I was like, you know what? I already have ogres painted. I'll throw them in the box. We'll go. So we go, I play, I got fifth place. I was like, what? <laughs> um, so I think I dropped one unit, and ever since I've been running that list and it's done real, I got third place at Adepticon with it. Um, I'm taking it to Siege to see how it does. I may very well wind up taking it to Masters. Go through the list, unit by unit. Um, as you're discussing each unit, talk about the role. You know, What is that role for that unit in the army? 
Um, and if you have interchangeable sections where like you have two units that, that are interchangeable, you know, bring that up as well. All right. Well, let's talk about 2000 points because <clears throat> that's, that seems to be the magic number. Um, and plus we'll talk a little bit about it, but it's easy to kick up to 2250 by adding two units to it. Um, so it's ogre list. And the first thing we put in is two hordes of warriors that is your standard stock troop. Um, 200 points it's a nice even even number um ogre warriors aren't bad 18 attacks they're 15 17 hit on threes defense five speed six they're they're awesome you know they've they've taken down a lot of stuff that they probably shouldn't have with their crushing one and brutal is an amazing role like i don't know how many times that brutal has just been like like oh you need an eight and i'm like oh i roll a seven. Oh wait brutal's an eight ha 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 like it is it's a it's probably my favorite role in the game. Not gonna lie, it's probably my favorite army role in the game is brutal. Um, the they're the thing I hope that dies second behind um, the red goblins I put in there, um, just because you know the other two, the other stuff I run is more specialized. But yeah, you, you can't go wrong with ogre warriors. Like I could probably make an entire army out of ogre warriors and be okay with them. Um, we had two hordes boomers because who doesn't love breath attack? They're the um, second longest range threat range I have in the army at eighteen inches. Um, once again, ogres, the, another reason I love them is their shooters are, are just as good punching as they are shooting at 20 breath, you know, 18 breath attack. Once again, 15, 17 nerve. They hit on fours, defense four, crushing one brutal. They're amazing. Um, the next two things I run two hordes of siege breakers. They're my favorite thing in the entire game out of every army I've played. I love siege breakers, crushing three, um, their defense four with big shield. So they're six in front, but crushing three with thunders one. I don't know why whoever decided to give them thunders one, God bless them. Cause it is funny when you, you hit something, you're like, oh, okay. So what your defense six. So, um, anything but ones. And they're like, no, you're crushing three. I'm like, and thunders one. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why. I just, I love it. It's my favorite unit in the game. Um, two ho- or two troops of red goblins. Um, look, yeah. Red goblins, a scouts, Speed 10, so they're 20 with Nimble. Seven attacks, Thunders 1. They're my chaff. They're height 2, so I can put them in front of stuff if I know somebody's shooting. Um, they're also they're fast enough I can hide them behind the Ogres. Like, say, I put them behind Siege Breakers, um, so that way Siege Breakers may say, take the beginning shots. With Defense 6, they might take one, yippee-skippy. And um, then the Goblins can run right past them. You know, like I said, they're speed 20, or, you know, they can run 20, and they're great for, you know, making a flyer sit still so the ogres can catch up or whatever they need to. Um, we have three three flag guys. Uh, right now, my, my favorite item that I put on them is the banner of the griffin because ogres can always use nerve. So three flag guys, one with blade of slashing because they usually always have five points left. Um, one just regular flag guy, one with the banner of the griffin. Um, they're nice because they're nimble, um, but they're not individuals. So you can't overrun them, and their unit strength one because they're a large infantry character. So three flag guys is three unit strength right there. I mean, there's much as a horde, just three flag guys, and they're easier to, to run across lines if you have to. Um, lastly, but most importantly, is Gigante. Well, seventeen nineteen with Fury, so I don't have to worry about him getting wavered except from shooting. He has Strider, so I can put him where I need him. Speed seven. He's a little quicker than the Ogres. I use him to flank at crushing three. If he hits it, it's going to hurt. Um. And then, like I said, the magic items, Blade Slashing, um, Banner of the Griffin. And I've been putting Brew of Courage on one of the um, Siege Breakers. So that makes them, with Banner of the Griffin and Brew of Courage, usually puts them up to 1719, which is kind of, a, kind of a big deal, especially when you got this crushing three thing in your face that, that hits on threes. If they hit it, it's going to die. 
you kind of alluded to one of the reasons why you started playing ogres was you had the models, I guess. Yeah, I had them. Um, they they just look cool. Like I said, I played orcs and goblins forever. That's always my thing. I played orcs in 40k. I just I like the orc aesthetic, and like when they came out with those ogres, like those look so cool. And I love, you know, I'm all, you know, no matter what company makes them, I always try to buy whatever books they have for fluff. And I'll give G Dub credit when they write a codex, they they put all the fluff in it. And I love the ogres' fluff of how they literally worship a giant mouth, and you know, I really like the models, and I just. It's cool. I mean, how can you not like giant fat Mongols carrying around cannons shooting things? Um, and and then when um, Kings of War, when Mantic made theirs, I liked the fact they had some goblins in there. They weren't necessarily Noblars, but the Red Goblins. And I like – like I love Mantic's like Red Goblin Fleabag Riders. Like I love them. I love them all beasts. So it works really well. So it, it was cool. Plus with the way Mantic did them, like they're hitting on three. So I know mathematically they're going to do 12 hits. As far as the ogres go, like I like the fact that I have an army that I know it's going to do what I need it to do, as long as it's not dead. What does this army do well? Hit things real hard. Um, not not to be facetious, but it's it does what I need it to do. It's kind of a, it 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 does everything real well when I need it to. It's not going to outshoot anybody. The breath attack's nice. Um, it catches a lot of people off guard. Um, I've noticed like it was never my intention, but it seems to do that because people will play it and everyone's scared to death of breath attack, especially piercing one breath attack. So usually when I, you know, people will go hit the boomers and they kind of forget the siege breakers, you know, they, or they forget the warriors and, you know, Rob, you play ogres, you know, siege breakers or um, warriors to the flank is no joke. And they kind of forget about it. Yeah. Any ogre horde to the flank is going to be a problem. Even boomers. Yeah. Anything to fl- and people forget about. It. They're so scared to death of the boomers because being height two is nice. I can snipe a lot of things. And but yeah, they'll hit those. And if the boomers don't break, they're just kind of like, oops. And then, you know, you're dead. You know, now you got 36 attacks in your flank with crushing one. The best thing in the game is going to have against me is defense five. So it's like, well, OK, um, pick your stuff up. Good job. What does this army struggle with? Specifically, Varinger, fast armies like werewolves, anything that's that does what ogres do better, faster. You know, the fallen werewolves. If, if I can get them, and that's that's what the red goblin's job is to go out there and get in a werewolf's way when I when I know I'm running against them. You know, because speed, you know, speed eight. You know, the only thing, nothing is faster than my red goblins. Flyers are just as fast, unless you give a flyer with the with the hate brew brew of haste. I have just as fast stuff as you do. So goblins will, you know, goblins are kind of like my, my guided missiles go stop those guys. So I can hit them first. Cause if the ogres get the alpha strike. It's, it's usually real bad for anybody. Even if I run against a horde, say I get a horde of goblins. If I put two hordes of ogres in the, in your face, that's 36 attacks hitting on three. You're going to hit with two thirds of those. It's good fight. Good night. You know, you're going to hit with 24 more than likely. You're going to wound with somewhere upwards of 15, you know, with brutal, you're looking at sixteen. You know, sixteen wounds on something. You roll dice. It's not going to take a whole lot to make it go away. Well, then you roll snake eyes, though, right? I think Pizza Jesus. Pizza Jesus is a subtle god. Like against Kyle, he he spikes dice. I can, I think it's for the camera. And um, but no, for for me, I, I roll very little double ones because of the faith in Pizza Jesus. I don't know what it is. I'm knocking on wood as we speak to not jinx that, but. My double one rolls have been low. When you look when you're looking at this army, do you have any predetermined strategies like? This is how I deploy the army. When I, when I deploy, it's warriors are next to each other, flag guy behind them. Um, boomers are next to them, boomer, boomer. 
flag guy behind them. Then siege breakers next to them, siege breaker, siege breaker, flag guy, usually with the banner griffin with them, because those are the ones I need to live the longest, because they're going to probably do the most work. Um, Red Goblin Scouts, they're, they're what I'd call my reactionary forces. I'll see where people have stuff or where I need to put the Red Goblins. Like I said, they may be anti-flyer, so they'll hang in the back. They may be, you know, you got to go head off the werewolves. Sometimes I'll put them on a flank and they'll run around and go pick off war machines. And then a giant, he'll usually either, he'll hang around with either with the boomers or he'll hang around with the siege breakers. I think the idea that a lot of people don't realize when they haven't, when they haven't played against ogres that much just how good their shooting units are in close combat. I mean, you have this sort of idea, oh, that's a unit that shoots. It doesn't matter if, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if we, if I get in close combat with them, but those ogres, I mean, crushing one hitting on fours with brutal. I mean, it's just, that's no joke in combat. And that's why I'm a big, you know, Jeff's, uh, Jeff Swan, you know, put me on to using elite on a a horde of boomers. Cause that's perfect. I mean, who cares? Combat, Shooting elite works for everything. Yeah, and now with ogre shooters themselves, I'm not personally a fan. I'm not begrudging them. That's not like they're a bad unit, but it's it's something else. When people build a list, you got to find your play style. What what may work for some does not work for other. Like I like goblins, but I, I've never been successful with goblins as I've been with ogres. Goblins aren't really my play style. I like I like punching things. I like things dying. Um, so shooters just sitting back and shooting, it's not my thing. That's why I like boomers just because they can move, they stick with the army, you know, they, they shoot things or they get punched, whatever they need to do. I know some people who run ogre shooters and they do really well with them. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. Well, they're they're actually, you know, for me personally, ogres get across the table and punch people in the face. Well, that's kind of doesn't work real well with the idea of I'm going to have a unit on the my back line hanging back, just plucking away. Yeah. Same token, I don't really want to send anybody back there to defend them. So, you know, if I do take shooters, it's almost like I'm taking shooters for the th- for, for the bark, right? It's like the, the bite's not as bad as the bark, right? Uh, it's almost like an intimidation thing. But uh, you're absolutely right. You know, boomers are awesome because you can throw them out on a flank um, and they can actually keep up with the rest of the army, shoot while they're going in. You can also then turn them and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to deploy them in a way to protect from flyers. Because let's, let's face it, ogres do not do well against, you know, super fast armies that have a lot of punch, like you alluded to. Back to the when I talk about my models kind of writing my narrative for me instead of me writing narrative for my models. Um, my Siege Breakers hate Soul Reaver Cav. Like my buddy Payne, he plays Undead, and he really loves Soul Reaver Cav, which, you know, if I had Soul Reaver Cav, I would love them too. Um, but right now we are tied at like 10 games each of where my Siege Breakers have killed the Soul Reavers or the Soul Reavers have killed the Siege Breakers just, just because it's just, you know, they're both, Pretty much, they're both units that delete things. If they hit it, it goes away. So it, it, it's kind of that ongoing thing. They just they hate Soul Reaver. Even even a tournament, which I know I should probably you know be paying attention more. If I see Soul Reaver Cab, I have to kill them with the Siege Breakers. Just it's like a debt of honor. In terms of scenarios, what scenarios are you secretly twirling your mustache when you when you hear, "Oh, I'm playing this scenario and I got this list. Oh, I'm I'm good." So far, loot has been my my all star scenario for this list just because um i played just got done with jim city um i played eric trowbridge and he was running his infamous malby spam list and i beat him uh, i played shannon shoemaker at adepticon and if we had gone to turn seven i would have beat him just because ogres are resilient enough and by the way both of those times i was playing against goblins i just thought about that anyhow um 
Once again, Rob, you play you, you play ogre, so you know our flag guys are the really the MVPs of the list. They can carry loot tokens. They're not individuals. You give a flag guy, and a flag guy on ogre army list is easy to hide. So he gets the gets the tokens. He just runs, and he usually hides behind siege breakers. Like, all right, well, you've got it's now turn four. You got two turns to get past these guys. Good luck. Characters are are probably one of the most important things in many of the objectives uh, for the scenarios. You know, the ogre characters are big. Uh, the fact that they're not an individual is a huge thing. Yeah, and it it there are times when I'm like, it sucks. Like I wish we had like a Gakamak. Yeah, we've got Grok, but he's not an individual. But on the flip side, I don't know how many times them not being individuals has saved me. Where I'm just and people are like, oh, flat guy. So I get to I was like, you get to sit still because uh, guess what, Buttercup, they're not an individual. So by the way, you killing that flat guy that left your flank open. Choo choo, here comes the pain train. Well, and then the. F- and the fact that they're nimble is a huge thing too, right? Oh, I mean, it's beautiful. You're like, oh, you didn't realize that Grokamok gets to come around like this and smash you in the face? Oh, okay. And and they have three attacks, so they get flanks. You know, I've recharged things with nine attacks, hitting on threes, crushing one. I mean, my flag guy, my flag guys have done work. Well, and they are like really good. Like I just gotta throw something out to keep them from hitting something. They're they're resilient enough to take take a small charge from something, you know, chaff or something. Yeah, like defense four, eleven, thirteens, like they're no joke. Like you, you have to respect them. I don't know how many times I've popped out, you know, jumped out and punched a war machine or, you know, whatever I need to do with my flag guys. Well, loot's a good one. What's the bad one? What's the worst scenario for this army? I'm not a fan of eliminate. Just because like rumor has it, um, they're adjusting it. But eliminate with uh the fact that you get points for holding on to your tokens. So what I've run into is guys will just shoot my shoot one of my guys with the tokens. They'll die because usually what it is it's both siege breakers, and then a thing of boomers. So they'll you know they'll long range shoot the boomers. Uh, I'll lose that bounty or whatever, and then they'll just run all their stuff away. I'm down a point and there's nothing I can do to get it back. Sounds sounds like a problem. <laughs> Armies that you're playing against, which is the one you don't want to see? You know, which is the tough matchup? For me, I don't want to see Varinger just because. Um, like I said, they do what I do fast and it's not, you know, we, you know, a lot of people complain about fallen, which, you know, 40, only 40 points more nogers and they get like all the rules. Yeah. It's mildly irritating, but you know, they've got access to, uh, the, the mounted suns, which are stupidly good. And, you know, which, you know, please don't think I'm like, Oh, it's broken. It's not, you know, I don't think any army in the game is broken. It's, it's stuff I need to figure out when I play against Vanguard with my goblins. I'm like, I don't get why are these guys scary, you know, because I have the bodies for it. You know, every army has its its bad matchup. For ogres, me personally, I feel like Varinger is. They do what I do, but faster. Now, flip side, what's the army that you see across the table that you're just you're giddy, you're excited to play? Twilight Cannon Elves, I don't really have a whole lot of problem with because they don't have a lot of access to piercing. You know, they have a lot of shots, but at the same time, in defense five across the board, except for boomers, I don't care. You know, you know, big shield in front. I, and if something is scary shooting, I just send the red goblins after it. Um, got depending on scenario, don't really have a big problem with goblins, um, but it also helps I play them. And that you know, that's a lot of people don't seem to take that into account. When you play an army, you kind of know what's important and what can I ignore. So when I play against goblins, I'm like, okay, what's the important part? Got it. And when I say I played Eric Trowbridge, I made sure I killed his blood boil first, and after that, it was just all right. Well, keep the tokens away. But yeah, when I see Twilight Ken or I see Elves, it, it excites me. And Abyssal Dwarfs. Abyssal Dwarfs and Dwarfs. I move faster than they are. Um, yeah, they have high armor, but I'm playing guys that, you know, even our shooty guys, even my flat guys have crushing. So, 
that's cute. You know, yeah, your defense what? Oh, oh, your defense six with your rocks? That's cool. Here comes Siege Breakers. Now your defense nothing. Talk about your, your history with this list. You know, what events have you taken into? You touched on some of them, but I mean, you know, give us give us a little bit of a history lesson. You know, when... What was the very first event that this was it was it Manticon? Um the very first one I took it to was Mike's original Gym City and I I got last place. I mean there were a few tweaks to the list but I mean the the basis has always been the same and I got last place cuz I did not play scenario. I was like, "Oh, if I kill, you know, I was still in the Warhammer mindset. If I kill everything, I win, right? Who cares what the scenario is?" Uh that w- I was incorrect in that assumption. Um then I put them away for tournaments for a long time. Like I would break them out against games that, you know, due to the shop or whatever, but I never took the tournaments playing goblins. Uh, the next time I bust them out was Manticon last year. I was like, you eh, know, let's see what they can do. Why not? I haven't played them in forever. And I got fifth place. I was like, wow. Okay. I played against Andrew Summers um, with his brotherhood and I beat him because uh, I played scenario. Uh, who did I lose? I lost to a Varinger list. I remember that. Mm, trying to think what else. Um, then I took him to Adepticon because that was right after Manticon. I was like, huh, let's, you know, it's one of those deals like you do good at an event. You're like, did it, was it lucky or did I do, you know, or am I actually good at, with this army? So I took him to Adepticon. I lost to Shannon Shoemaker and I lost to Andrew Summers. So I went four and two. Um, Shannon, once again, I, I was not ashamed of that loss. If we would have went to turn seven, I would have won. Um, Andrew Summers, I just straight up derp. Like it was the first game. It was just terrible. I was just like, derp. Like it was just straight up. I'm bad at the game type game. Um, but I'd won the other four. So I was doing real good. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, took him to a couple of local events around here. Nothing major, you know, cause I was still trying to ride the goblins for the rest of the time. Then I took them to gym city this, this last month. And I beat Jason Mormon. You know, I avenged my loss because the last time I played him was at the original Gym City and lost to him. I uh, played a club mate, wound up clubbing him to death because he was playing Abyssal Doors. And then I played Eric Trowbridge. I went 3-0. and um, I got technically fourth place because soft scores. But this sounds goofy, but it's one of those deals like, you know, I usually score high because I, I get sportsman scores because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a retard. And I act a fool and people like that, whatever. But, like, I went 3-0 and and I beat really good players. So it – you know, it is one of those deals. I felt redeemed. Like, you know, yes, I'm good at the game. Yes, I'm good with this army. Let's talk about the hobby for a minute. You know, hobby wise, what do you got planned for this army going forward? I just actually got some models in today of uh, the GW Mornfangs because I really want to make. I wanted. I really like the ogres. I like what they do. I like the style. I like the shoes. Welcome to the team. Um, but I'm making chariots because why not? You know, I don't have them. Um, I want to get my hands on, I've got three of Mantic's hunters and I actually like those models. They're cool. They're, they're a little smaller, but to me that makes sense because, you know, hunters, they're the stealthy ones. So yeah, they, they would be whatever. They'd be smaller than your normal chunky ogre. I'm down with that. Um, but yeah, right now it's just, just working on the chariots. Um, trying to see, I'm more than likely, you know, me and Andrew have been talking. Um, that's why I asked you the question, can neutral armies inspire? Every, anything they want at Blue City Brawl. I'm probably taking Ogres to a Blue City Brawl. And um, I'm super excited about that theme like because it gives me a chance to paint up more Ogres. And um, I'm just saying you might see Brotherhood Ogres. That's, that's the only thing I can say. Oh, that'd be cool. Something different. That'd be very unique. And you'll have to work real hard at creating a really compelling narrative. Don't worry. I, I got that covered. I know Hobby's not your favorite thing in the world, but you don't hate it. Talk about the modeling of the army, the painting of the army. You know, what colors did you use? What paint range? The highlights 
I use Citadel paints because that's what I always used, and I'm I'm scared of change. Um, I've really I'm I've kind of gone the opposite. Everybody else gets like super expensive paints, and I'm like, oh, so now I get like Walmart paints because. You know, my and this actually came from listening to a not not to mention competition. I'm sorry, but I'm listening to Unplug Radio and they talk about paints. And Mike Rossi's like, you know, I just use Walmart paints and just kind of squeeze bottle. And you know, if you water them down enough, they're fine. I was like, there's no way that works. Yeah, it does. It does. Fifty cent bottle. I can get two giant bottles out of it for fifty cents instead of paying four bucks for a Citadel pot. I'm like, huh? Okay, then learn something. You know, my ogres are red and black. Nothing super fancy. And I went with a snow base because I always see them and they always look cool. And I'm actually kind of proud of my snow bases. I'm not a hobbyist. It's not that I'm not interested in it. It's more of um, like I said, when you when you run across guys like Billy Capgun, and 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 Brian uh, Latrell, you know, with his Salamander Army, or just any of them, you're just like, why why am I even bothering putting paint on these models? Because nothing I do will look this good. Like why why am I even wasting why am I wasting people's time to look at my models? But so it, it's more of that. It's more of an intimidation thing. It's not necessarily I hate the hobby or don't like doing it. It's just it's like, huh. it's like it's one of those deals. Like when you're playing basketball and if Michael Jordan shows up on the court, you're like, why am I here? I'm just I'm just embarrassing myself. So like you, you know, and like Billy, he's your club mate. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, why why am I putting model on this? Like why am I putting paint on this model? I'm just embarrassing myself. Are you ready to go and do ten questions? Of course. So the way this works, I'm just going to hit you with a quick question. You're going to give me the first, and I, and I know I can count on you. <laughs> you just hit me with the very first answer that pops into your head, no matter how ridiculous or absurd it may sound. All right. What's your favorite army? Ogres. What's your least favorite scenario? Eliminate. What drives you creatively or competitively? Always to do better. I'm always seeking to better myself. When your opponent rolls snake eyes. I feel it is the best rule in the game. When you roll snake eyes. It is just BS. It's broken. It's stupid. Why is it in the game? They should nerf it. What is your favorite hobby material? Favorite hobby material? That's a good one. Probably pizza. What is your biggest gaming pet peeve? Um, Biggest gaming pet When people don't communicate, when they just assume, like, I hate, uh, 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 I hate that. Just tell me what you're doing. That's all I ask. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Interpretive dancing. What other miniature war game would you not want to play? War Machine, ever again. I, once was enough. If you had a romantic evening with Ronnie Renton, what would you whisper sweetly to him? Give Mammoth Strider. Thanks for joining us inside the List Builder Studio tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Thanks a bunch for coming on, Jesse. Uh, it was really cool to have you. You know, I'm glad that, you know, with... Um, Kyle going or with Caleb going to another game. Kyle was able to get you because his videos are great and you guys have like a great chemistry together and you, you've brought us new cultural heroes in the, in the form of uh, sweaty gigante and pizza Jesus. And I just want to thank you from, from coming on and to the audience out there. Remember praise be the pizza Jesus. Always remember the, the pie, the slice, the bite. Amen. And remember to keep, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by posting on our episode thread on the discussion forum found on manticgames.com. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time... 
keep counter charging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 